Welcome to Crime Beyond Borders, a podcast series from the Journal of Illicit Economies and Development and the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. My name is John Collins and I'm Editor-in-Chief of the Journal. In this third episode, we're going to discuss the environmental impacts of illicit economies. With me, I'm delighted to say that we're joined by Professor Maria Alejandra Velez, Professor of Economics and Director of the Center for the Study of Drugs and Security at the Universidad de las Andes in Bogota. Dr. Angela May, the Chief of the Research Branch at the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime, UNODC, and Daniel Brombacher, the Head of the Global Partnership on Drug Policies and Development, GPDPD, at GIZ, the German Government Development Agency. So let's jump straight in. And if I can address the first question to you, Marie Alejandra, why do you think it's timely to have an entire journal special issue on the topic of illicit economies and the environment? Sure. Basically, for decades, illicit economies have been studied and debated as a security problem with social and development consequences. But uh, the interaction between illicit economies and the environment is more recent and, and rather unexplored discussion. So in this special issue, we basically try to seek to, to enhance the evidence of, of this issue and uh, to study and to explore the environmental impacts of illicit economics beyond the traditional crime focus indicators. Very interesting. And Angela, um, the UN has been doing a lot of work on this topic recently. So perhaps you could give us a bit of an overview of some of the work you've been doing to try address this topic. We have addressed uh, the topic of uh, environment and uh, drugs in the context of looking at uh, the interlinkage between drugs and the Sustainable Development Goals. Uh, so, as you know, the Sustainable Development Goals embraces all of this notion of social, economic, uh, and environmental development together with peace and security and governance. And so, in that context, uh, we are trying to understand uh, how drugs may impact the environment, uh, but also how drug policy may impact the environment. And basically, to look and, and on the needs that uh, drug policy needs also to take in consideration environmental issues. Uh, globally, this has not yet been addressed uh, in terms of uh, large uh, resolutions uh, or intergovernmental uh, decisions uh, that uh, really very um, put at the core of the problem uh, the links between drugs and environment. But there has been some areas uh, where uh, that has been addressed. And this is particularly in terms of geographical areas. Uh, the Andean countries, particularly Colombia, Bolivia, uh, but also Peru have um, been part of uh, a very biodiverse environment. And so the need to protect biodiversity, you see there that uh, the consideration of addressing the problem, particularly of drug cultivation, together with the needs uh, of uh, um, giving incentives for conservation, but also mitigate the, ne- the negative environmental impacts. And uh, in terms of topical uh, discussions, uh, there has been a, a lot more discussion uh, in relation to the impact uh, of um, particularly drug cultivation on deforestation, uh, but definitely the impact of uh, uh, drugs is not limited to deforestation. Great. And Daniel, perhaps you could uh, give us a little bit of an overview of some of the different dimensions uh, of, of the environment, um, environmental impacts of illicit economies that came through in the special issue. Yes, uh, thank you, John. Yeah, when when we started to to edit basically the the special issue jointly with Maria Alejandra here and Juan Carlos Garzón, 
uh, we have had a very intense debate about the different potential layers uh, in which illicit economies do have a negative impact on the environment. And what we suggest in our introductory chapter is basically uh, to differentiate between illicit economies that are extractive illicit economies and that have a direct negative impact on the environment. The most well-known cases are, for example, uh, illicit mining, timber, IUU fishing, wildlife trafficking, etc. And those are actually quite well studied, um, let's say, from all the different aspects from illicit economies and their nexus with the environment. I think those uh, are best studied, even though there are some regional differences. The second layer is extractive, uh, non-extractive illicit economies that do also have a negative impact on the environment. And the best known case is the one just described by, by Angela, that is uh, illicit drug crop cultivation, for example. That's non-extractive, but you do see in some countries at least a massive negative impact on the environment, even though it may not be that direct as some people uh, uh, also academics have suspected for a very long time. And, and there's a third dimension that is quite important, but even less studied, that is um, the impact of uh, government policies um, to address illicit economies and by that also causing harm to the environment. I'm sure Maria Alejandra can give us some insights afterwards into the Colombian case. And that's uh, a situation where you may have some research, for example, in Colombia, but for a lot of countries, you don't. So basically what we did in the special issue is just shedding light on what we don't know and not so much on what we know. Great. And, and thanks for teeing up uh, the next question very nicely, actually. Maria Alejandra, you've, do, you've conducted a lot of very groundbreaking research within Colombia on these topics and your, your, your research center as well has facilitated a lot of research. Could you tell us a little bit more about what what sort of uh, findings have come out, come out of the Colombian context and some of the examples in Colombia? Yes, uh, let me start by the, the last dimension that Daniel just mentioned, which is the, the, the impact of the state responses to illicit economies. And I guess that the classical uh, case of a study is the impact of uh, the potential impacts of aerial fumigation in Colombia to eradicate coca crops. Although right now this is suspended in Colombia, it's, it's a, a policy that is always there, you know, as a threat uh, to, to to drug cultivation or coca crops cultivation. And uh, there has been a lot of discussion regarding the possible impacts on health, uh, also water pollution, impact on the biodiversity, etc. But beyond like aerial eradication, another. Um, type of intervention that we should consider is, for example, the alternative development programs in Colombia and other countries uh, such as Peru, which mainly has had a, an a agricultural focus. And, and, and when, when coca crops are cultivated in strategic environmental areas, then uh, alternative development programs should consider other requirements and strategies beyond agricultural substitutes, basically. The other example, uh, as already was mentioned by Angela and Daniel, is the case on, on the relationship between coca crops and deforestation. In one of the articles that uh, we have in this special issue, it's clearly mentioned that even though there is a relationship between coca crops and deforestation, perhaps it's not the most important driver, at least in Colombia, 
of deforestation. And basically, uh, the indirect defect effects are more important than the direct ones. So coca, for example, allow the uh, construction of roads, and then roads are the ones who are making the most important contribution in deforestation. Or coca crops is correlated with conflict, and conflict is basically the direct driver of deforestation. However, one of the... the the issues that we discuss in both research and, and policy contributions in the special issue is the fact that in Colombia, but this is also the case in, in Peru and Bolivia, coca crops are moving to a strategic environmental areas such as uh, national parks and resguard, indigenous resguardos or collective territories of Afro-Colombian communities. Right now in Colombia, more than 30% of coca crops are in these protected areas. So basically, uh, this is a threat to the environment and to the biodiversity, even though it's not a direct driver of deforestation, it's moving to these protected areas where you don't want coca or any other uh, agricultural product cultivated extensively. Interesting. And, and, and to, to continue, Maria Alejandra, and, and Daniel, you may have thoughts on this as well. Um, I think some of the papers or some of the research that came out, um, I think at least challenges some of the traditional insights or conventional wisdom around cause and effect between illicit economies and deforestation and also the relative scale relative to even, let's say, licit activities like, you know, clearing land for cattle or, or whatever it is. Could, could you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I think that the first, and Daniel may want to compliment here, but I think that the first uh, uh, issue that we discuss here is that coca crops is not the most important driver of deforestation, at least in Colombia. However, it has complex relationship with other licit economies that may be the driver. So, for example, cattle ranching or land grabbing. Um, so... Is not a direct driver, but it's an indirect driver because of the complex relationship with other licit economies. Um, the second important thing that we discuss in the special issue is that it's not only about uh, coca crops cultivation, but also the production of synthetic drugs that is polluting water uh, and, and having an environmental impact. I, I don't know if Daniel want to yeah, add something else. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much, Maria Alejandra. So I think, uh, yes, she described it very well. Um, for a long time, people usually and researchers also assumed, okay, we do see a lot of deforestation in Colombia where we do see a lot of coca cultivation. So a lot of people assumed, okay, there's a direct relationship. But uh, actually, as also the special issue has brought up, it's more complex. But we do see that the agricultural frontier um, is sometimes pushed by, for example, coca cultivation. And we also see that in, in, in other regions of the world with other drug crops. And then afterwards, you do have or you do see a lot of listed economies, but that do have a negative impact on the on the environment, as, for example, as Maria Alejandra said, extensive, uh, extensive cattle ranching, uh, monocropping, agriculture, and in general land crabbing. And I think what we see here in Colombia, but also in other countries, 
is that very often the illicit economies, they create a lot of cash inflow and money needs to be laundered and needs to be fed back into into the illicit economy. So land grabbing um, and massive purchases of land, for example, you see them very often also as the special issue shows in Central America. They're very often related to the drug economy, but at the end, the negative impact on the environment is way bigger by the illicit economy, even though the cash inflow may come from drugs. And another aspect, Marie Alejandra just mentioned, we have seen in a, in a EU-based case study, it's one of the papers in the special issue from, from Belgium, is actually due to the in massive increase in synthetic drug production um, in some Western European countries, there has also been a massive increase of illicit dumping sites. And uh, what the paper does uh, for the first time is actually um, a kind of like screening media coverage about those illicit dumping sites in order to get a better understanding about the extent of that uh, negative impact on the environment. And it's quite massive. It's totally understudied and not so well understood. But uh, even in the course of editing the journal, we, we came across a very interesting paper that is uh, studying the effects on fish in, uh, in, uh, in, in waterways uh, by uh, the dumping of synthetic drugs. And there has been, for example, that paper came, came out with the finding that there is a massive concentration uh, or can be found a massive concentration of, of methamphetamine in the brains of fish. So I think many of the potential Im negative impacts on the environment of both plant-based and, and synthetic drug production is not properly understood and a lot of the evidence is still anecdotal. Um, so I think um, there's a whole research agenda, not only in the field of drugs, but in general illicit economies and the environment emerging. And I think it's important to, to follow up closely to understand better how and in which different ways those relationships between illicit economies and the environment may look like, because as we have seen, in the case of deforestation in Colombia, uh, the the linkages and the effects may be less direct than thought, and may may be more complex than than we have thought for a long time. Yeah, it's it's fascinating, and I think this special issue really really highlighted how nascent this field of study is. Surprisingly, given how important it is, um, Angela, I'm going to ask you a similar question regarding the work that UNODC does, say, on the World Drug Report or or just general research that you, that you do. Uh, what are some of the unexpected findings that you've come across or some of the unexpected outcomes? Well, one of the things that uh, I would say uh, more on what uh, we don't know is uh, to understand how harmful are illicit economy uh, from both dimensions, the environmental dimension and the economic dimension. I always find uh, in the research, uh, or the, if you want the advocacy field, uh, of uh, on both being environment, being drugs, uh, being uh, you know the uh, the community of wildlife trafficking or uh, conservation, etc. There is always the tendency to come up with big numbers, and so we have heard about the billions here, the billion there. But what we have found is that uh, um, is is important to understand what uh, this uh, the, the value and the size of illicit economies are in different terms. 
And so in terms of the cost to the environment, so some of these big millions that have been estimated, for example, uh, in relation to um, wildlife trafficking or uh, uh, illegal logging, uh, for example, uh, are more relating to the cost. So it's monetarizing the cost that uh, these illicit activities and illicit economies bring to the environment um, or the cost that these activities being illegal, they don't bring taxes. So these figures are important to understand, in a way, yeah, the harm that these illicit economies have um, in relation to the environment, for example. But what we found is that when we want to look at the harm that this illicit economy have in terms of money laundry or in terms of going polluting, if you want, the legal economy by distorting dynamics of competition and others, um, is much lower because at the end, um, some of this, uh, beside uh, illicit uh, uh, logging uh, that uh, is very highly profitable uh, for uh, criminal organization. Uh. The rest of environmental crime, and uh, in relation more to um, the, for example, wildlife trafficking, is not that uh, uh, big as compared to, for example, the drug profits. The drug profits uh, remain the largest profits that organized crime um, acti- uh, criminal groups have. And so what really we have learned is that we really need to understand um, what part of the illicit economy we wanted to study and how we wanted to also measure and understand the dynamics in terms of both environment and economical harm. Great. And maybe just to continue on that theme, Angela, um, thinking of early career researchers or mid-career researchers, right? The idea of the UN picking up your research and using it in the World Drug Report is obviously very attractive. Um, what sort of research should should these people be focusing on that would be of particular interest to international organizations such as the UN? Any kind of research that is based on solid research methodology and research that brings value to the policy debate. So, um, in relation, for example, to these themes of illicit econo- economies, uh, drugs, uh, etc., is in, um, important to see more on policy analysis. So what works and what does not work. Particularly in the drug sphere, there's a lot of, because there's polarization at the political level, also some of the uh, uh, findings and papers that you see around, sometimes they also reflect this polarization. And what we, we look at the U- UN is really just to find factual scientific base uh, research that can answer some of these big questions. What are the policy responses that work best in addressing illicit economies or in addressing, we are talking about the drugs, drug cultivation or drug trafficking? Very interesting. And, and Daniel, before I go to Maria Alejandra, a similar question is from a, a, a donor, a governmental perspective. Well, what, what do you think is particularly interesting or relevant? Yeah, thank you, John. Um, so I wanted to pick up also on something Angela said, but it's related to your question. Uh, the big, big question is how to measure actually the environmental environmental impact of illicit economies. Because our understanding, and um, let's say also from, from, from our implementing agency perspective, that it's very hard to to get the right data and the right indicators to actually get a 
more profound and uh, a more sound understanding of how the relationship between illicit economies and the environment actually works. Um, most of the time, and that's true both for drugs, but also for what is usually called environmental crime, um, we use only or exclusively indicators that are supply control related. So usually in the field of drugs, we do measure the amount of seizures of certain illicit drug or how many people go to prison, how many cases go to court. Um, in the field of drug crop cultivation, we measure um, how many hectares have been under cultivation in uh, in certain year, in certain amount of time. Um, but of course, that doesn't say anything about the real dynamics in the drug economy. And the same is actually true, and we have come across this uh, with our co-editors also in the case of the special issue, the same is true for the, the extractive uh, industries, for example. Usually, we measure the, the amount of rhino horn that is seized, or we, amount, uh, we measure um, how many uh, wildlife traffickers go to jail for their offenses. But that doesn't say anything about the real environmental costs, because we do not have the right indicators. And very often what we see that we have mostly people with a, with a drugs crime security background studying also environmental crime, while people from the, let's say, with the environmental expertise or climate expertise are not necessarily working also on crime. And I think there's a huge, uh, there's a huge space for improvement in, in this field. The same is true for us, let's say, from, from, from our more narrow perspective on implementing projects on behalf of the German government, is when we try to integrate an environmental perspective uh, in our alternative development or drug policy work, it's quite hard to, to get good information about what are best practices and what, what actually works. We do have, um, I think Colombia is a nodal is a relevant exception here because we do have some experiences in Colombia from our own work, but also from others, uh, also included in the special issue to see how uh, alternative development programs and environmental protection or uh, uh, deforestation reducing, reducing programs can be merged, but we do not have that experience for a lot of other countries. So, and when we discuss, for example, wildlife crime, uh, most of the responses are also law enforcement related and not really uh, available, let's say, for development cooperation or development interventions. So at the on the one hand, to sum it up, we do have a, a lack of good indicators and good data, as Angela said before, but we also lack uh, insights into good best practices and models that actually work and can be replicated for different uh, for different um, illicit economies in the fields of environment. Great. And Maria Alejandra, if I could ask your thoughts on any of these points. Yeah, I, I was going to say that uh, in order to, to have the sort of the right data, the right indicators, I think that researchers uh, working on illicit economies or drug policy need to start really a conversation with uh, people working in environmental science and environmental impacts and, and also in sustainable development. So these fields have been sort of separated for a while and, and we need to start a conversation in order to really uh, embrace this environmental dimension of both uh, illicit economies and, and the state responses. So I think that uh, we need a more interdisciplinary work among those type of uh, researchers. 
And then there is a lot of lines that we need to move uh, um, the research. We need to start thinking about and studying more systematically the links between different illicit economics, for example, uh, drug production and drug uh, trafficking with illegal gold trafficking, etc. Uh, we need also to start looking more at the relationship between illicit and licit economics, uh, such as uh, coca crops cultivation and cattle ranching. Um, we need to start doing research about the impact of local governance structures and basically to differentiate the different parts of the value chain. You know, in it's not the same uh, the policy responses to this informal labor at the beginning of the value chain to more organized crime of those who are trafficking the drugs. Um, so we need to, uh, in order to to start thinking about how to include environmental dimension in, in, in drug policy and, and, and the responses to illicit economies, we need to do more systematic evaluation of the state policy responses. I think we have a lack of evaluation of the policy responses to illicit economies with environmental lens, with environmental dimension. And, and I think we have to start thinking about what would be the impacts of, of a drug-regulated market on the environment, right? And there is also a line of work about the impacts of regulated cannabis in the U.S. and other parts of the world, but we have to start sort of envisioning what, what should be, what would be the impacts of a regulated market, for example, in the case of coca and cocaine, uh, in order to start discussing the uh, environmental implications of that. Great. And Angela, I, I suspect the regulated market point, you may just glance over that one, but perhaps you have thoughts on those points as well. Yes, thank you, John. Uh, I think, well, fascinating, both Daniel uh, and Maria Alejandra, what uh, they are saying. Uh, I, I was thinking, I mean, following on Maria Alejandra, I thought uh, definitely the drugs policy, they need to have this environmental length. But in some specific cases, where I would say is so important in Colombia, in the Indian countries, as an example, but not only, also environmental policies need to look at drugs. And this is a, a point that we have been trying uh, to make every time we look at the links between, in general, development and drugs. But there is a lot of discussion uh, from the drug side uh, to you know, make this link so that drug policy really integrate development. But there is little uh, debate on the other side, on the development side, to recognize uh, um, that sometimes... Uh, you cannot think about development policies if you don't understand drugs and if you don't integrate also the drug issues in the um, in the development policies. But if you allow me, I wanted also to make a, a second point, thinking about the research and what we need. I think we also need to uh, think about research on the other side, so the impact of environment on the illicit economy. Because with the climate change and things that change, uh, we will be faced, I mean, we already been faced in some cases, uh, the shortage of uh, natural resources. And this shortage of natural, natural resources uh, will... Uh, produce a, a, a gap between supply and demand. And we know that every time there is a gap between supply and demand, the um, illicit activities, uh, they take a space. So we need also to look on what will be or what are going, you know, that we see started today, the dynamic of environmental change into the illicit economies. 
Just a quick message to those listening. Jayad welcomes submissions for our open issues regularly. It can be research, a review, letter, policy commentary, and other options. Recently, we've had pieces on corruption, mafia groups, drug trafficking, environmental crimes, and many more. For more information, head over to the Jayad website. There's a link in the summary to the show. Right. So, so to change direction, not, not even, I think this is quite a related topic, actually, but I'll, I'll direct this first to Marie Alejandra, but I'd like to get everyone's thoughts on it. And because when we think about this topic, so much of it relates to the most marginalized communities, um, often indigenous communities. And I wonder how we, how we incorporate a, a focus on equity and social justice into both our research and our policy work in this. And I go to Marie Alejandra first, obviously, because you've done a lot of work with these communities in Colombia. Yeah, I, I think a, big, uh, a good starting point is that I think that when we do policy recommendation, we have to realize that we are not entering like an empty space, like indigenous communities, ethnic communities have a, an ethnic plan, have a development plan themselves that they have de- developed themselves. And we have to acknowledge that in order to to incorporate those thoughts in the policy intervention. Uh, I have been, for, start, for example, studying those communities that have resisted the, en- the entrance of illicit economies to their, ter- to their territories. And that should be also part of the drug policy agenda, not only those who are switching crops, but also those who are resisting uh, the entrance of those illicit economies. And also related to that, and, and following what Angela was saying, and, and of course the environmental agenda and development agenda also need to consider the drug issues, we have to start thinking about different instruments. Uh, in, in Colombia, we have been discussing, but it's also a discussion because it's not been implemented, for example, the role of payment for ecosystem services as an instrument that strengthens a community organization and help this transition between illegal to legal economies, including conservation. Because again, if we're thinking about these ethnic communities or communities that are in national parks, etc., we cannot think about alternative development, traditional strategies that are alternative and not really uh, alternative. Um, so we need to start thinking about other instruments such as payment for ecosystem services that uh, may strengthen the traditional crops uh, and conservation of, of these uh, territories. Right. And Daniel, would you like to come in on the same question? Yeah, just to follow up a little bit on what Maria Alejandra said from, from let's say, from our perspective as implementing agency. Um, in Colombia, we have a situation now, Maria Alejandra mentioned that before, that a major share of coca cultivation is actually happening in areas of the country, either national parks or uh, forest reservation zones or uh, Afro-Colombian indigenous areas. I think it's altogether, it's almost 50% of, of the overall cultivation where you cannot do traditional alternative development because traditional alternative development is based on agriculture. But then if you want to address or want to support farmers involved in illicit uh, drug crop cultivation or coca cultivation in that case, and you cannot do the traditional alternative development approach, then you do, it's not even optional if you want to think about other instruments or environmentally sustainable instruments, it's a must. And that's one of the, the big questions now we are we are facing in Colombia, we had been facing in Colombia, and actually we are implementing now 
uh, or we are piloting testing payment for ecosystemic services schemes, as Maria Alejandra just described it, in order to create income for communities where traditional agriculture is not possible. And we do see that also in a lot of other cases where illicit economies, not necessarily in the field of drugs, are happening in, in highly sensitive, environmentally highly sensitive areas, either in, uh, in, in national parks or in, in the rainforest. And that's, for example, also true, true for mining, um, that's for drug economies, that is for wildlife trafficking and other crimes against biodiversity. It's about timber. So we have a whole bunch of, of let's say, extractive and non-extractive activities that have uh, uh, quite uh, caused quite some harm for the environment, but we cannot actually intervene with, um, with licit livelihood options because most of the livelihood options that may exist are not allowed by law in a lot of those countries. So that's why what we see in practice is very often that law enforcement is considered to be the only option, but law enforcement is not addressing the root causes. So it's quite a tricky situation uh, on how to react. And I think without the, the research we have also been trying to push, it won't be possible to identify good instruments. And those need to be tested on the ground. They need to be piloted in order to have more sustainable responses beyond traditional law enforcement, which of course makes a lot of sense, but it's not going to be the long-term solution for many of those illicit economies that cause environmental harm. Great. And Angela, the same question, and also could you tell us a little bit, because I know the UN is doing, uh, or UNODC is doing some special work on this topic, so perhaps you could give us a little bit of background to that as well. Thank you, John. Yes, indeed, for our next, next World Drug Report in 2022, we are working on a specific analysis on the links between drugs and environment. So we really look at understanding how the supply side, so the illicit production and trafficking of drugs, both plant bases and chemical, um, uh, have an impact on the environment, but also uh, how the use also may have an impact uh, on the environment. And um, so we wanted to look at uh, different, uh, uh, we call them pathways um, that they may be harmful from uh, the agricultural side. So again, the plant base, so the use of uh, pesticides or other issues, uh, uh, but also the, if you want the harmful pathway relating to precursors, to the manufacture of precursors, the use of precursors, uh, but also the issue relating that have been discussed before by both Daniel and Maria Alejandra, the deforestation um, and the impact of the synthetic drugs damping, uh, but also the indirect impact in relation to money laundry, for example, uh, and to also touch upon how the policy, the drug policy response uh, can be, uh, and if it is uh, environmental sensitive, uh, and then uh, to really try to highlight uh, where the drug policy can not only address the drug problem, but also can help uh, to address uh, the impact of the drugs uh, um, on the environment. Uh, clearly, I mean, what we, we are conscious uh, that uh, the impact of the environment uh, uh, of drugs, particularly, for example, we think of the example of the plant base, uh, um, may have uh, 
more or less impact than licit crops. So the cultivation of coca may not be more harmful to the environment than the cultivation of any other crop. But we want also to understand if the, the thing that drugs are regulated, if this provide more or less harm to the environment than any other, than, you know, in relation to particularly the legal crop. So we hope that that could... Uh, this research can uh, uh, really feed uh, this debate that we are talking about uh, on how to better consider environment uh, into drug policies and vice versa. Great. Daniel, would you like to add something on that as well? Yeah, just just a word. I think this is really uh, a great project by UNODC. The World Drug Report is the globally seen key publication in, let's say, key policy influencing um, publication every year. It, uh, it's, it's guiding uh, member states, it is uh, guiding also research, it is guiding uh, civil society. And I think to bring up uh, the environmental aspects of drug policy is quite uh, pathbreaking because it's new. I mean, of course, um, let's say environmental and climate concerns are a, a global thing now, a global movement. But still, in the in the realm of drug policy, it hasn't been very dominant in the past, especially because of the lack of evidence. And I think bringing in evidence, good evidence, um, into the World Drug Report and also to consideration of member states in the global drug policy community will be key um, in order to steer the the global debate in the in the coming years into, let's say, in a in a more green direction and also to shape drug policies that are environmentally responsive and do not cause more harm. So we really congratulate Angela and her team for this great endeavor and very much looking forward to see the final product next year in June. Great. So so perhaps for the last part of the podcast, what I'd like to do is direct uh, the discussion in perhaps a slightly more politically fraught, but uh, an interesting direction, I think, around policy. Um, and just maybe for our listeners who who, who uh, wouldn't be as familiar with these debates, what we often find with with particularly around drugs is this: it, it, the the field divides quite quickly into those who would argue uh, most of the problems uh, come from the actual prohibition, and thereby by removing prohibition, you would remove a lot of the environmental impacts. I think Maria Alejandra, you alluded to that, and um, you have another side which would take a more criminal justice oriented approach. Uh, increase enforcement, uh, uh, use the military and police to suppress the markets, and that'll reduce the environmental impact. And I think then there's there's the great middle ground between that, right? The, the one that I think coalesces around the sustainable development approach and the recognition that, that there is probably no answer to these issues, but we can certainly manage them a lot better than, than we have been. Um, so if I could go to maybe Marie Alejandra first, um, could you give some insights on where you think policy can and should go over the coming years? Yeah, I think that there is like a, to answer that question, there is like two sides. One side is like, uh, while we are in a sort of a prohibition framework, then as we were saying before, drug policy and environmental policy need to start talking to each other and start to developing more, as Daniel said, green oriented drug policy that consider the environmental impacts of a state's responses. So again, what are the impacts of uh, alternative development intervention? What are the impacts of a more 
punitive type of interventions such as aerial fumigation, if we can start considering such new instruments such as the payment for ecosystem services for this transition between illegal and legal activities, in particular for those working at the beginning of the value change, which are not part of criminal groups. So that's one side of the story. But the other side of the story, I think, is to start discussing if the environmental impacts of a regulated market. And as I mentioned before, which has been documented at, the, at least for the case of cannabis in the U.S. and in particular California, and is that once cannabis has been uh, legalized or regulated, there has been a reduction of, coca of uh, cannabis crops in protected areas. So I think one of the problems of an illegal market is that illicit cultivation moves to protected areas, basically to hide the monitoring. So uh, an immediate response, I think, of an illegal, of a leg, uh, regulated market will be to reduce the impact of those illicit crops in the protected areas. However, then the future of a legal market will depend on the environmental requirements that are in place, because just as another type of uh, agricultural production, if there is not environmental policy and regulations, if we just leave this to the market, the impact will continue. So a regulated market will not solve the problem immediately if there is not like regulation and monitoring in place. Um, but I think that we have to start discussing a possible global future with a regulated market in order to see if environmental, the environmental dimension can be included there. It's very difficult to to start a discussion about how to include the environmental dimension in this area in an illegal market, because that would be only part of the state responses. Whereas if this is a regulated market, then the environmental dimension could be included also from the supply side and from the demand side. So I think that we have to start moving in that direction and discuss not only the, the impacts of a regulated market in, in a health dimension or economic dimension and social dimension, but also in the environmental dimension. Okay. And Daniel, also recognizing that you may not be speaking on in an official capacity, but as an observer for this topic, what, what are your thoughts on policy directions over the coming years? Well, um, the, the, let's say the, the global drug policy debate is, is quite dynamic currently. Um, I would agree with uh, several of the points Maria Alejandra just made. Let's say from our perspective, from a development agency perspective, um, I think there's a there's a huge item missing, and I mentioned it before, that's basically the livelihood perspective. So the reason why we do have uh, communities engaging, let's say, in the source countries in illicit economies is usually, yeah, is the need for making a living, simply. And we see that in, in basically every major drug crop producing country, but we also see that, and we also saw that in the special issue in some of the case studies, we also see that, for example, for wildlife trafficking in some African countries um, and other illicit economies. So if we do not manage to include, let's say, beyond law enforcement and supply control indicators, a livelihood perspective into the policies we are designing, we're not going to be in a position to attenuate the negative impact of illicit economies and the potential responses um, uh, for those communities and for the for the affected countries. Um, 
basically when you think about what can you actually do to address different phenomena like illicit mining, timber, um, uh, wildlife trafficking, drug, uh, drug crop production, then you need to provide alternatives. You need to provide alternative livelihoods, illicit livelihoods that do not create environmental damage. What we have seen in the past in quite a lot of cases that also drug policies like alternative development, they basically have replaced illicit uh, monoculture cropping or monoculture agriculture by illicit monoculture. Uh, agriculture. We see that, for example, in Southeast Asia in quite a lot of cases. And that is definitely has a high cost for the environment. And as Angela mentioned before, that's not necessarily less negative impact on the environment than the illicit economy. So basically, a greening of drug policy responses, but also of other policies addressing um, um, other illicit economies with negative impacts on the environment will be one of the key challenges ahead. And I think, as very often, the whole debate starts with the right indicators. So we should um, get an agreement on a global scale how to measure the negative impact on the environment of illicit economies. And once you have the right data and the right indicators, you can also shape policies accordingly. And Marie Alejandro, just before I go to Angela, do you want to jump back in on any of those points? Yeah, I just want to add quickly that, you know, when designing policy, but also is analytically important basically to differentiate between informal activities carried out as part of livelihood strategies, as Dan Daniel mentioned, from activities carried out by illegal armed groups and organized crime groups who also have environmental impact. So I need to, um, a second level of analysis and, and research need to start differentiating the, the policy intervention that address each of these uh, possible environmental impacts that these different groups, basically. Right. And, and Angela, uh, to give you the final word, and the UN, UNODC is often, I think, ascribed more agency than it really has in this regard. It's more of a, you know, you guys implement what member states want. But, but what do you have? Do you have any thoughts on policy directions over the coming years? Well, my thought uh, on the policy direction would be a hope uh, that these are uh, driven by evidence, by scientific evidence. As we have been discussing uh, this hour, uh, the drug debate is so polarized uh, and often evidence uh, is forgotten. And so I would hope uh, that on the basis of what Daniel described, uh, if I may say something like there is an integrated set uh, of indicators uh, or evidence uh, that they will be able to really capture uh, all the dimensions of the drugs. One thing that uh, we haven't discussed uh, in this hour, just uh, that we also have to remember that drug policy are very much oriented, at least at international level for sure, but I'm sure at national level, the whole objective is to protect health. And so the whole control, international and national, that we have is because we, we, you know, we want to protect the health. Now, there are other things to protect. The environment is one. The social economic dimension of farmers and people in the world is another. But, and so what we need is to understand that the reality is complex. And so once you want to protect something, you need also to consider how you do this without harming others. Uh, that stays around. And so an integrated, if I may call it like this, set of really indicators and evidence that can consider all of this together, uh, I hope, my hope is that uh, would uh, drive uh, uh, the next phase of policy. 
Great. Well, I think that's that's been an extremely comprehensive and, and, and broad overview of a, a really important and uh, a poignant topic. So I know this discussion will continue both with the special issue and also with the upcoming uh, World Drug Report. So just to say thank you to our speakers and, and thank you to the audience for joining us. That's it for this episode of Crime Beyond Borders. I'd like to thank Maria Alejandra Velez, Angela May and Daniel Brombacher for being part of this discussion. You can find the link to the special issue on illicit economies and the environment in the summary to the show. And if you head over to our website, jayad.lse.ac.uk, you can find links to various papers from corruption and illicit tobacco trade to cybercrime and transnational counterfeiting schemes. Remember that it's all peer-reviewed and free to access. We're also on Twitter, at IllicitEcons. On LinkedIn, you can become a member of the Illicit Economies and Organized Crime Researchers and Policy Professionals Group. Currently, we have over 500 organized crime experts from around the world engaging in discussions on various areas of research. We'll be back in a few weeks with another episode of Crime Beyond Borders from Jayad and the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. I'm John Collins. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.